last time. So let's open in prayer. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather together again in this place. Lord, I ask that you would move, and I'll ask that you move in us until the day that I can no longer speak or that I lay in the grave. Uh, because I know that, Lord, if if I ask people to move, they'll likely just sit still. But, Lord, if, if you move us, who among us could resist you? So I, I, I desire you to move, God. I, I desire you to move, and I, and I know and I trust in you that your Holy Spirit will move in us, will move in our lives, will move in our church, will move in our community. If we will spend time at your feet, and one of the best ways for us to do that is in spending time in your word. Uh, that, we would, that we would learn, Lord, that we would learn more about you. That we would be eager to seek after you and discover more about you. That's what we have to hope for in eternity, is to dive into the depths, knowing that we will never exhaust them. So as we continue again in your in your word in the book of Ecclesiastes, such a difficult book for multiple reasons. Uh, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us. Uh, Lord, you know the needs of each and every one of us in here. Uh, Lord, let us not neglect the spiritual needs as well. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I uh, want to kind of give you a, a, a kind of a, just a, a Brief summary of, we looked last time in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. So kind of the idea that I was hoping came across last week, I've tried to sum up in just a, in just a short sentence. So, so follow along with me, listen closely. I've tried to pack this full of, pack this full of everything that we were kind of trying to unpack last week. So, uh, so, so this is the idea that I, that I hope that you got, that I was calling us through God's Word to this. And it is, let us give up treasures that we could never keep so that we may lay up for ourselves treasures that we could never lose. Right? So it's not about whether we're seeking after treasure, it's what treasure are we seeking after. Right? And, and I pray that we're all seeking after heavenly treasure. I pray ultimately that that heavenly treasure is Christ. Right? Not just crowns of glory, but any crowns that we gain here through the service that we can only serve by Christ. We're, we're gaining those because we want to honor Christ and laying them down at His, at His feet. Right? So ultimately, I pray that our treasure is in Christ. So last time in Ecclesiastes, like I say, we were in eight or in chapter five, verses eight through the end of chapter five. There, verse twenty, and the end of the chapter doesn't end the thought that he was working on. He is he is here in this section of the text dealing with wealth and dealing with the futility or the vanity or the meaninglessness of wealth. Right? So he doesn't end even though the, the chapter ending is there. He continues on in this. So what I want us to do first, and, and this, these are going to be a couple of the, there's really three main things that I want to get across tonight as we dig through the text of God's Word. We ended last week with enjoy life, right? And that was in the last part of the text there, uh, 18 and 20, and we're going to review that 
briefly because what we're going to find in chapter 6, almost the entirety of chapter 6, is going to be dealing with some of the ideas that, that flow out of 18, 19, and 20 of chapter 5. So we're going to review that. So the, the one thing that I want us to get and remember from last week is that we should enjoy life. Right? We should enjoy life. Now that comes with some context to it because what I mean by enjoy life is I don't mean go chase off after worldly things. Right? So we really, to understand what he means by enjoy life, we need to dig deeper into how might we enjoy life? Or how might we find seeking after enjoyment to be vain? Right? So we're gonna, we're gonna do a little bit of that. Uh, the one thing that I hope comes out of this study today is this. So we're talking about enjoying life, and what I want to, what I want us to come to the conclusion is, is that life is what you have now. Right? I want you to follow with me. That you should enjoy today, for tomorrow will never come. Right? We're going to see this. How many of you have ever reached in all your lives, have ever reached tomorrow? Right? We look forward to tomorrow, but I don't know that ever, ever anyone has gotten there yet. <laughs> right? All you have is today. But I think we waste away much of our lives in what will never come. Whether that be in storing up treasures, or whether that be in worrying. Right? What is worry except for worry about something that may never come? And then we also, here, we're going to deal with storing up treasures for something that may never come. Alright, so that's the first thing that I want to get out of this, is that we should enjoy today for tomorrow will never come. The second major thing that I want us to get out of this is that lesser things will never satisfy us. And the lesser thing that we're going to be looking at here is wealth, worldly wealth. And the second, or the third thing, excuse me, that should come out of this, and it's going to come out from the text, is that we should find contentment. And what I want to propose to you is that you will only find contentment in Christ. And we're going to look at some passages of text in the New Testament, particularly in the last part of the book of uh, Philippians. We're going to be turning at some point to Philippians chapter 4, making a reference back to Philippians chapter 3 also. Uh, but first, I want us to kind of dig into what we're seeing here in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Or we're going to start first in, in 5. 5 verse 18 says, and, and we covered this last time, even, even so, I've noticed one thing at least, that it is good, it is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and, and to accept their lot in life. Right? If you're, if you're following along with me in your Bible and you're the type that keeps notes, I would like for you to underline, and yours may read, you know, slightly differently based on the version that you have. What do we have up here? So it says, uh, for this is his lot. So if you have new NIV under, underlined for this is his lot, if you have a new living translation, uh, underline the section that says to accept their lot. We're going to see this idea come up again in verse 19. And we're actually not going to cover it today, but we're going to spend an entire 
uh, an entire Wednesday on this idea next week uh, because we're going to bridge from this down into the last part of chapter 6, uh, this idea of accepting your lot and what, it, what, does, he, what does he mean by this. Uh, and verse 19, And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. So again, we see this idea of your lot in life, which is going to come into play in a, in a, in a latter study. So I would like for you to just kind of underline it. Here's what you could do, actually. Underline, accept your lot in life. Go read what's said in chapter 6, verse 10, and kind of let that stew in your minds uh, for a week. Uh, or more. So again, in the in the middle of nineteen, there accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. So the one thing that I want us to do, and God's word is it's good about this, is that is that He gives us balance. In His Word, right? We, we tend to find that extremes can be dangerous. Sometimes in both directions, right? So, what I'm not, what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that if you are a person who has money, or that you are well off, and that you have all that you need in this world, that in some way that you should be ashamed of that. That's not at all what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying. And that's not what God's Word says. If you have, this is a gift to you. So if you have wealth, it's a gift. You should be thankful to God. And you should enjoy it. Let's be balanced. And this is what we're going to find happens shortly after here. So we're going to get a little bit of a little bit of balance here. So again, if you have health, if you're healthy tonight, thank God for that. It is a gift. So let's understand that the good things that we get and receive in life, the truly good things, again, perspective is key, right? For many of us to be rich would not be good for us, okay? So when I say the good things in life are from God, I don't mean that everything that you see as a good thing in your life is from God. That's, that's again, not what I'm telling you here. Because sometimes our perspectives are skewed. Some of you may think that you're living a horrible life now, when in fact, what God is doing for you in eternity, you will find to be a blessing. Okay? So understand this. So I want us to have a little bit of balance here. And in this, what I want us to see is that every day that God gives us is a gift for us. And we should thank Him for it. And we should rejoice in it. We should enjoy our life. We should, He ends, He ends chapter 5 here. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. There's, there's two, things that we can do nothing about. One is the past. One is the past. The other I'm going to say, uh, and we're going to, this is, um, we're going to put a caveat onto this, but this is also your lot in life. Right? 
this is your lot in life. And and again, I say caveat. We're going to address we're going to address this later. Um, so here we see taking that those who enjoy life take no time to brood over the past. And 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 here as I reflect on this passage of text, uh, I, I find myself thinking back about difficult things that I've gone through. And, and, and I think that many times, many of us, when we think about life, we may find it hard to rejoice in today because we find ourselves brooding over the past. Something which we cannot change. We reflect on regrets. We reflect on missed opportunities. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. And you can't modify that. You can't go back and change that. So it does no good. That in itself is vanity. And, and, and oftentimes we waste what we have now. We can't enjoy what God's blessed us with now because of the things we think we've missed out on in the past, which cannot be changed. So let us be the kind of people who find ourselves in the moment, understanding that moment to be the gift of God, and let us enjoy it. It is a blessing. Every single breath, every single beat of the heart, every single time we can stand or sit, every single time that we can eat and swallow, Church, we're to enjoy today and make the best of today because tomorrow will never come. Tomorrow is not promised. Your health tomorrow is not promised. Your wealth and your prosperity tomorrow is not promised, at least in a worldly under the sun sense. Ultimately, if you know Christ, you find your health and you find your wealth in Christ. Not in this world. Okay? So that's the promise that we cling to. That's the promise that we hold to. So that when we find in, in this world, we find ourselves sick, or we find ourselves scratching for food, that we can still rejoice. Right? That when we come upon trials in this life, that we can find ourselves always, constantly rejoicing. This is the, this is the truth that we find throughout the New Testament. Right? We need to be a people who suffer well. We don't suffer well. And for the same reason that we don't suffer well, we tend not to prosper well either. We tend to be the kind of people that when it's going good, well, I don't need the Word of God, I'll set it down and I'll put it to the side and then I'm prospering, I'm prospering. God's blessing me. Isn't this so good? Let's understand this. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 6. Solomon here. Gives us some perspective. By pointing out a tragedy that he sees under the sun. So verse 1 chapter 6. There is another serious tragedy I have seen under the sun. And it weighs heavily... On humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, 
But then He doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. Have you ever seen that happen? Oh, have you ever have you ever seen it happen? And isn't it a tragedy when somebody plans and plans and plans and, and you know I, I talk on the retirement thing because I actually have seen and I, and I know of quite a few people who have banked everything their entire lives, put it away, and it's one of those things that I found myself early on in my 20s, and and I know some of you are like, well, you caught it in your 20s, that's a good thing, and, and I know, I, I, I count myself as blessed that God revealed to me, because I do realize that in, to catch some of these things in your 20s is a blessing also, but I, I caught myself in my 20s doing the same thing, putting up for, for 65, or, or for me it was 55, right? Really for me it was a shooting for like 40, 45. Right? Like that was my, my, I was my, I was gonna retire from my job and I was gonna, you know, either I was gonna be very rich and live on the beach or at 45 I was gonna start my own company so I could get very rich, pass it on to my kids or, or whatever, right? So I had these plans and through, through the preaching of God's Word and my own personal study of God's Word, God revealed to me the vanity of this and, and I pray that, that for some of you, I pray it's not too late. It's definitely never too late to realize these truths. For some of you, you may be past the retirement mark, and you may be like, you know what, I wish I'd have realized that truth when I was in my 20s or when I was in my 30s. But for you who would say that, I would say a couple of messages back, I, I, I ask all of you to be, to be seeking to serve others. If you... If you are like Solomon and some of these truths that Solomon tells us, do you know how he knows them? Not because he learned them while he was young, because he experienced them through his life. If, if you find yourself, when we look at this, wanting to go and regret, man, I wish, I'd have, I, wish I had had somebody to tell me that when I was 20. Be that person for somebody else. God is sovereign over each and every one of our lives. And He may very well have allowed you to experience firsthand the truth that we're going to find here so that you could touch and minister to someone else. Right? So I want us to understand that, that God's sovereign over our lives and that He has purpose for our lives. So even if you look at this and would be driven to despair, rejoice because your retirement is found in Christ now. Your hope for a redo is found in Christ. So make use of the life that He's given you. Whether or not you have one day to live, or you think that you have a hundred. But what we'll find out here is that you, you may very well not. So, let's dive into this truth. There's another serious tragedy I've seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily, heavily on humanity. God gives, some, God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, but He doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die... This translation says they die. Most of the others don't. But I do think that if you look at this, some translations in verse 2 will say that God does not give them the power to eat of the fruit of their labor. 
one thing that we can draw from this is that this person that he's reflecting on here has spent the majority of their life storing up for a day where they would look forward to enjoying all the fruits of their labor. And upon reaching that day, found themselves unable to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Whether they died young, I think that would apply here. Or whether they got there and they had a stroke, so they couldn't do it, I think that applies here. Whether their body broke down sooner than they thought it would, I think that applies here. They got to that point that they looked to and hoped to and found it to be lacking. Found it to be insufficient. Found themselves lacking the power to enjoy it. And here's, here's the thing that we should realize from this. It's reflecting back on enjoying life, understanding that you have now. You have now. Because that day that you look forward to may never come or you may get there and it may look seriously different than what you anticipated. So let's understand that. I think we need to mold our minds, mold our understanding of what our lives should be like. So that we don't find ourselves ineffective today when we do have the power. To do something. When God has granted us the ability. When we do have our health. Let us, let us not squander away what we have for sure on something that may never come. I pray that this hasn't happened for you, but again, if this has, if you, if you find yourself looking at your life and feel like, my Lord, I, I squandered everything that you've given me. I want to. I want to comfort you in this. You realize it. Your heart there is ready for repentance in it. So repent, and you know what you'll find. So when you repent, you'll find yourself exactly where God wants you to be, so that He can use you, no matter what your life looked like. Apart from Christ, the person in Scripture that I look up to the most was the worst one of them all. Admittedly. Paul. Go, go look at this guy. There's none of you squandered your lives like he'd squandered his up to this point. Chasing after religious vanity like nobody else. Chasing after a law that could never do what he had hoped that it would do. But then when he comes in contact with Christ, man, all bets are off. A life lived in Christ cannot be a life wasted. No matter if you've got years ahead of you or if you've got moments ahead of you. A life in Christ, lived in Christ, can be effective. It can be effective. So he says, this is a tragedy, and, and, and yes, it absolutely is a tragedy. Every time we see it, we thank it. Every time we see somebody that, that, that we know that they've done this, or maybe we ourselves are doing it, and we think, man, I, I hope that I get there and I'm not sick, or I, I don't die too young. I hope it ain't my 
wife's next husband that's spending all my hard-earned money. You know? <laughs> Babe, I'm planning on living forever. <laughs> In Christ, I will. Yeah, I won't, right? <laughs> I'm planning on spending every bit of money. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. If I do spend it, I pray that I spend it in service to God so that it's not wasteful. Verse 3. And he goes on, he kind of adds on to this more and more, digging deeper and deeper still. A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old. So you could get there, be powerless to enjoy the fruits of your labor, church. On the contrary to this, so the flip side of this coin is that you could have everything that this world has. You could have children to pass it on to. You could have a hundred children. And you could live to be very old. But if he finds no satisfaction, and the question there is, well then what satisfies? If every, so, so great wealth, honor, everything he could want, the question that I ask when I see that in verse 2, what is it that he wants? Because apparently as we dig in, what he wants fails to satisfy. And it's not a matter of more. Right? How many of you want a hundred kids? How many of you who could have kids would want a hundred kids? That'd be, whew, that'd be stressful. Just a little bit of sleepless nights. <laughs> well, this one's an easier one. How many of you want to live to be very old? What if you could live to be 2,000 years old? Right? Would, would more life, right? Because that's what we think sometimes. Well, okay, I could do without the world, but just let me live a long time. If I live a long time, surely in the, in the process of living, I will find myself satisfied. Well, he's he's going to cover this. So let's ask ourselves: What is he? What is he warning? If he has everything he wants, what is it that he's warning? And I would say he wants lesser things than what can satisfy, because he finds that if he had a hundred children, which was seen as something that was uh, uh, an amazing thing to do, and he lived to be very old. He could still find no satisfaction. And if he finds no satisfaction in life and doesn't even get a decent burial, why does he not get a decent burial? Well, he dies and somebody else enjoys his wealth. Right? I mean, it says somebody else is enjoying his wealth. So there's no money to be spent on your burial. It would have been better. Listen to this. It would have been better then having a hundred kids and living a long lifetime and having wealth and having honor and having everything else you could want. Caveat, under the sun, right? We're under the sun, the context of Ecclesiastes. It would be better to be born dead. Why? When I read this, I, I think, man, that almost that feels a little extreme. Aren't you taking it? Aren't you taking it a little too far? He, he he continues to break it down. His birth would have been meaningless. This is talking about the one who lived long and had many children, 
And I think at this point we're far enough in. This is the eighth study that we've done pushing through the book of Ecclesiastes to this point. I think at this point we understand why it is that his birth would have been meaningless. Because in a hundred years, he's dead. Two hundred years, every kid he's had is dead or they've had is dead. hundred years further, they're all dead. Everyone's name is forgotten. Everyone eventually becomes dust in a universe that just continues expanding on forever and ever until everything is cold and dark. So yes, whether or not his life was long in the span of years that we consider long, or he had everything that we consider to be good, in the big scheme of things, his birth would have been just as meaningless as being born dead. And he would have ended in darkness. So the same place that the one born dead is, he will be. Except he has the caveat of having to live in this life. And, and, here's, and, and that's all you could say about this life. If there was not hope in something beyond the Son. If there was not hope in the Son of Righteousness. If there was not hope in Christ. Then all you could hope for in this world is more and more struggles. More and more pain. There was a, there was a song, I, the title of it, and don't ever go listen to this. And don't ever go YouTube this. If even say even saying it was just, I, I listened to it when I was younger and I was lost, but the title applies perfectly here. Some of you may know it. The title of the song was "Mo Money, Mo Problems." Right? <laughs> this is what we find here: is this life what it has to offer you? No matter how much you have, no matter how much you can give to your children, is that you will find problems under the sun that have no answer to them under the sun so it would be better for you to have been born dead or not been born at all so speaking of the one born dead he wouldn't even have had a name he would never have seen the sun or known of its existence he would have had more peace than growing up to be an unhappy man He might have lived a thousand years twice over. So if you think it's a matter of time for you to be content, here's here's the answer to that. It's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of more. This is the problem that we have. We think if we have more of whatever it is that we think will satisfy, we think that the answer is to get more of it. And when we get there... Again, you will think, well, the answer must be more of it. And the problem is is that what you're seeking after is a completely different type of thing than what you need. The thing that can satisfy you is not a created thing. It's the creator of things. Right? We spend our lives seeking hoping that more of these lesser things will somehow bring us contentment. But we find here in verse 6, He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since He must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? That's the million dollar question. 
If all that we find is under the sun, what value in it? What meaning in it? Ultimately, meaningless, pointless, vanity of vanities. Verse 7, this, I want you to understand this reality here. All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. How many of you have eaten enough that you didn't get hungry ever again? None of you. So it wasn't it wasn't a matter of you eating more to satisfy it, was it? Was it? Could do you, you you think you could have maybe eaten a little more than that, and then you wouldn't have been hungry? Or maybe is it that you're made to be reliant on something? That maybe your hunger, even your hunger, and it's constant returning day after day, maybe even your hunger is to point you to something greater. Possibly? Even the rich, do you think the, do you think the rich, they have some special meal prepared for them and I won't have to eat anymore. I'll be done with that. Everyone, everyone, no matter how much you have, you can't satisfy it forever. You may have the means to continue covering it up by eating more and more and more and more, but the hunger remains. Just like this hunger to find contentment and to find satisfaction spiritually. No matter how much we feed it, we come up hungry. We come up thirsty, as Christ would tell us if we drink of His water. We never thirst again. You don't think that in, in, in even the way that He's made our biology to work, that he's not left his fingerprints pointing to himself, pointing to a need for him. I think he has. People spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. So the question then is, so are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? We see this word wise coming up and the question that comes out for me is well, what kind of wisdom are we talking about here? Again, the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, worldly wisdom. And what worldly wisdom would tell us is how to be smart and even in the context of where we're at in this text, how to be good with money. So in the end of things, whether you were really good with money whether you were wise with your possessions, whether you stored them all up and you actually got to retire on the beach and kick back in the sun. The truth that remains, meaningless. Why? How many years are you going to kick back in the sun? How many? Before you're in the ground like everybody else. So what are we wise towards? Verse 9, 
Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Church, enjoy what you have. This is in no way if you have things, am I railing against you because you have a nice car or a nice house or a nice job. But all of that is meaningless. All of that is meaningless. If it's not directed to glorifying God. If we don't give Him glory in the life, in the breath, in the beating of our hearts, then all of those things, meaningless. If we don't praise Him for the good gifts, for the ability to stand up and walk today, meaningless. Meaningless. Because you're going to die and you're going to find separation. Let that, let that not be us. So, the question that I have is, what do we want? What can satisfy? And where can we find contentment? And I want us to flip over now to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at Paul here. First, we're going to look at and I would, again, all these things, read the whole book. Um, we're going to kind of step back into chapter 3 a little bit to get a little context, but the full reading of the book will, will help flesh it out. So one thing that I always hope to, to, to present to you is that, that it's more valuable for you to read God's Word than for me to read it to you. It's more valuable for you to read God's Word than for me to explain it to you. Even if you think that a preacher up here does better than you, at studying God's Word, it's more valuable for you to be in God's Word. A hundred times more valuable to you. A thousand times more valuable to you. So don't neglect the study and the the reading of God's Word. I'll say this a hundred thousand times and, and, and it's in no way to 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 downgrade fishermen, but we had fishermen that that God saw worthy of leaving the responsibility of spreading the gospel. We had he he did not go to the universities. He he did not go to the highest businesses. Willingness. Willingness and a love for him infused with the Holy Spirit. These people were fearless unto death. Fearless people. And they said, not that they were educated, but that they'd been with Christ. How do, how do we spend time with Christ? And this is a side note, by the way, but I'll say it a hundred thousand times. If it sticks for one of you, awesome. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in His Word. So let's look here. In chapter 4 of Philippians, we're going to start in verse 10. He says, How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned about me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Verse 11, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be content. 
with whatever I have. Verse 12, we're going to come back to 11, but I want us to see that, that there's a particular word in here, and I want you to read it for yourselves, and I hope that it jumps out at you. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do, and everybody knows this one, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying that, that verse that we tend to pluck on out of there. He's, he's saying that in relation to this. Did y'all pick the word out there? There's a couple words. One we've seen, content, be content, right? Another one I want us to pay attention to here is the word learned. Verse 11, not that, I've, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content. How do we learn? How do we learn? Experiences? One way. Right? Some of you have learned the hard way, many things, I'm sure. How else can we learn? Study. Study what? If we want wisdom that's not found just under the sun. Study what? God's Word. About who? Because who is all of God's Word? pointing to. It's pointing to Christ. So who should we be learning about when we're reading this? Who should we be seeing in every verse of this? Who is it leading us to? Christ. That's important. That's important. Because what he's not saying here is that I, I came to Christ, was knocked off my horse, and as soon as I accepted Jesus, I had contentment. Like it was some just magical thing. He learned. He learned. Through studying God's Word. Through living life. He learned. He learned what? To be content. So, if Paul had to learn to be content, what what do you reckon we're going to have to do? Learn to be content, maybe. What, what do y'all think? You think we're gonna have to learn to be content? How are we gonna How are we gonna do that when we close this thing up and we set it aside? How are we gonna do it when it collects dust in our house or it gets warped because it sat in the sun in the heat of our back dash of our car? How How are we gonna learn to be content? How are we not gonna find ourselves? Spending our lives wasting it away on something that is vain and meaningless and pointless if we don't know what it is that we're supposed to be chasing after. Okay? How? I would say that you could find no other way. I would say if you close this book up and you just go off praying, you're not going to find contentment. You're probably going to get input from your TV. You're probably going to get input from your friends. It's probably going to be worldly. Likely to lead you in the wrong direction with false ideas about who it is that Christ is, what it is that Christ's done. 
So you'll find yourself chasing after these worldly ideas instead of what God's Word says. You don't value God's Word like we should. We don't see it as something that would change our lives. This is, uh, is this not true? I mean, for instance, if, if, I, if I told you that there was a lion in the other room, some of you are going to think me crazy. But if you heard something in the other room that sounded a lot like a lie, now some of you are going to think, well, Landon probably set up a speaker system back there and has some line sound playing. But when you see that line running through the hallway, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to run. You're going to run. Because your belief then gets solidified into something. And that belief doesn't just sit still in a pew so you can be devoured, does it? So now answer me this. If you believed that this would change your life, what would you do with it? You'd run to it. You'd read it. If you thought that it was effective, you would. Do you? Do you? I want us to to be serious about these things. Do we believe it is what God has told us that it is? Do we believe these words to be true? Do we, do we really think, though, do we really think, though, that these words have the power to change people's lives? Because we're coming close to chapter 7. And it scares me to death And some of you know what I'm going to share in chapter 7, and some of you have no clue, and it will likely, and I pray not, change the way that you think about me. But Lord, if when you do what you do, you shatter who I am to magnify you, then to God be the glory. Because what I hope you see then, is that God's Word can change lives. And we should all be spending time in it so that those who know us know how God is changing us. So they can see it working out in us. For we've learned. And who have we learned from? We've learned from God Himself. And in this particular context, we're learning to be content so that we don't waste our lives away. Chasing after things that cannot satisfy Because we place value in something higher than that. So for Paul here, he says, for I've learned how to be content. Whether I have, or with whatever I have, I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. Do you see that the contentment here applies to both nothing and everything? The truth that we find in Ecclesiastes is you could have everything and miss out on contentment. That you could. That that the having of things is not equivalent with being content. That having a good life does not mean that you're enjoying your life. 
Because many of us, if we really knew how bad it could be, would realize how good we have it. We would thank God for it. I've learned, again, in verse 12, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. So, it would appear that, that contentment is not something that you just breeze over. It, it may not be something you learn from your five-minute morning devotional. It may be something that you have to seek after. I want to point you towards the secret. I want to point you towards the secret that he's speaking about here. If we go back into chapter 3. Man. We don't have time for everything, so I'm going to look at verse 7, and I'm going to look at verse 8 in chapter 3. Now, he's speaking here in particular of his religious vanity leading up to Christ. Okay, So that's about as much context as we can get going in here. But the truth that he pours out here applies to everything in our lives that we would chase after and find them lacking. Alright? Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. He doesn't consider them worthless because of some high-minded ideas. Why does he consider them worthless? He doesn't consider them worthless because of efforts that he's made, strides that he's done. Why does he consider them worthless? I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So you don't, you don't know the secret. And let's, let's read a little bit more. Verse 8. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We see some things in there. There's so, we could spend a whole whatever, but we won't. Notice first, at the end, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Personal, man. This is an amazing truth that Christ is personal for us. Christ is personal for us. And when, when we ignore our time in the Word, it, is, it would be equivalent to us ignoring our spouses or our family and not communicating with them, letting the lines of communication die down. We're in a personal relationship with Christ. We need to be in constant communion with Him. And we will understand... That in Christ, there is infinite value. There is unending value. There is value that you could dig and dig and dig and never reach the bottom of His value. And He compares this with everything else. With everything else. And you know what He finds when He stacks these things up together? That everything else is worthless. Everything else is worthless. So, we're not going to be content in trying to be content. We're not going to be content in chasing after worldly things. You will find contentment 
And your contentment will grow deeper and deeper and deeper as the depth of your knowledge of who Christ is, what He's done, and what He continues to do in you grows. And that will only happen when you spend time with Him in the Word of God. It will only happen then. Once I thought these things were valuable, I pray that for us, that we will be able to say the same thing about whatever it is that we place before Him, whatever it is that we lift high and set up as idols. I pray that for each and every one of us there comes a day where we can say the same thing that I thought they were. I thought they were, but now I consider them worthless because of what what Christ has done. Let's stand and pray, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would just dive into your word, that we would, that you would grant us a deeper and deeper understanding of Christ, that we would know more intimately, more closely, more truly, more faithfully who it is that Christ is, who he is for the world, who he is for the church, who he is for us, who he has always been. Lord, let us let us find ourselves swept away in Christ. Lord, so that all those vain things, all those meaningless things, all those things that could never satisfy, those things in which we could never find contentment, Lord, that we would find Christ, that He would be lifted high. Lord, that that You would magnify Yourselves in our lives, that we would find that, Lord, we can, along with the uh, apostles, along with all the saints, that have ever lived in church history, that we would be able to say with them that even in the midst of our sufferings, we can rejoice. Because we find that all our sufferings do is make our reliance on Christ stronger and stronger. That as we experience and as we spend time in Your Word, so that even our experiences can be refined, even our understanding of our trials can be refined through the studying of your word that, that you would bring us closer to you, that you would that you would you would just drag us to the depths of your word. Lord, I thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Lord, I ask that you would help me to further understand, that you would help me to dive deeper still. It's in Christ's name. Amen.